Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Hello, friends. I hope everyone is not too stir crazy from the quarantine life. We have a very special guest on the F Word today. It is Rochelle Smith. Rochelle holds an MBA and is a certified financial planner. She is the president of Ames Financial Solutions in Florida. She is a self-proclaimed transition money coach, and she's going to be able to qualify that in a bit, so you just hang in there. She's authored uh, several books, but most recently, A Woman's Worth, which I had the privilege of reading, and we're going to discuss that a lot here today. Her greatest passions are promoting financial literacy and helping her clients meet their financial goals. Through comprehensive financial planning, she works with clients to create a roadmap to help them achieve short-term and long-term goals. One of her specialties is helping women transition successfully after a major life event, such as divorce or death of a spouse. And we're going to speak a lot on that today. So right now, let's just welcome Rochelle to the effort. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? You know what? I'm not too shabby. I'm not too shabby. <laughs> I'm, missing, I'm missing a little target these days, not going to lie. Would like to go out and not be completely freaked out when I'm, you know, grocery shopping, looking at people. Did you call? Yeah. I did yeah. a little, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Under the circumstances, I think we're all doing good. We're healthy. That's, that's the number one thing. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a little shy about going out right now, even though things have opened up. I'm, I'm that person's just going to let everybody else go first. Yeah. You go first. I know this <laughs> yes, is the, this first. is the, probably the most polite I've ever been in my life. You first. <laughs> you go, go for ahead. it. You go ahead. I'll let you, you know, yeah. go ahead and cut in line. You're fine. You go yes. on, you know, so. Absolutely. I don't know if you remember how we met, but Zanelia Harris said to me, you have to know Rochelle. And if Zanelia Harris says that, you listen. That is just the rules. And another funny memory of us almost meeting in person, and I don't know if you ever remember this, a uh, few years back, FA Magazine had the Invest in Women Conference. Yes. And you had spoken, you got off stage, and I thought, oh, here's my chance. I can get in to meet Rochelle. And you literally were swarmed. You had like a posse that sort of, and I was like, well, all right then. And I had to speak on stage after you, you know, I was like the after party, I guess, uh, with Rita Chang and Katie Burke in Texas, yes. Rianca Dorsonville, I was interviewing them on some topics. So I never got that chance to be in front of you and, and, uh, I regret it a lot. So well, oh, I remember that. I remember you telling me about it. You know, I was going to kind of sneak in there, but there were some people talking to you. Yep. And um, I will we'll be there again. I'm we sure will. we'll meet face to face again. But this right here is actually wonderful. What you're doing with the community is exactly what we need. I appreciate that. It's been a lot of work and I built the things that weren't available for I always say us old gals like me who've been around in the, you know, com, you know, I've been in this profession now 30 years. So yeah. when people talk yeah. about financial services, I was back there in the days with shoulder pads and pumps and <laughs> pantyhose and right here. You know, go get the coffee. We know. Yes. That was yes. me. I was, you know, they wanted me to be a gal Friday some days. And I was like, 
know. And in fact, very recently, as in maybe last night, my husband was talking about the printer and I said, I do not know how to work that thing. So do not even wow. look at me just because I'm a girl. He's like, I wasn't. I wasn't. He, <laughs> you had a flashback. Tell him you temporarily had a flashback yeah. <laughs> of the old yeah. days. And yeah. I have to tell you, truthfully, uh, with regard to that, you know, 30-year history, I was hired by a man. So I'm very much supportive of male allies because he... Uh, I remembered somebody came up to me when I was working. I was working at Mass Mutual, and someone had come up to me and said, "Hey, that printer is flashing orange." And I looked at him, and Robert Brumby said, "She doesn't do that." Call, call That's someone. That's an ally. That's, That's an it. Ally. That's when they yeah. show up, and you've got your people yeah. in your corner. And uh, yeah. and he, I remember he looked over at me from his office, and he kind of winked and he went back to work, whatever. And they did. They called the company and had somebody come in. I remember that so vividly. So I thought. I'm never touching that printer because that printer means I'll never get past it. So yep. I never touched it. Yep. So this and day, they'll I see you fixing it and they'll think you're the one, your missus mm -hmm. fix it from that day going forward. You don't yep. want that. No. Yep. And I want to uh, point out that, yes, if Zanilia says it, it is so. That is right. It's in <laughs> it the book. Is so. And I'm going to make yeah. sure she hears this. She's going to get a copy of it and make sure I'm going to say, you have to listen to this because if Zanelia Harris tells you to do something, well, you just do it. And, and I do. And I say that about <laughs> Renee Norse, too. She did ask me to come to the Quad A meeting in Detroit. Yeah. And it was kind of last minute. You got to yeah. be there. And I remember hanging up the phone and I said, well, we're going to Detroit. And he oh, and yeah. says we are. I'm like, Renee said so. So we're going. So she's the boss of me. Yeah. That's it. That was Almost exactly like she's it. She's the boss of me. Yeah. That's it. I love it. So I, I definitely want us to talk about your book, A Woman's Worth, but I want to take a few moments and talk about your journey into financial services. How did you get to this profession today? So I've always been a numbers girl. And uh, when I left high school and went to college in a city that you love, Atlanta, Georgia, I, um, my major was accounting. And I'm probably like the majority of students, you start out with one major and then you decide that's not really what I want to do. I want to change, but I stuck with it. My major was accounting and um, I started out in a bank. So uh, you probably have heard of Nations Bank, which is now yep. Bank of America after all the <laughs> name changes. I started there. Uh, I worked in their vault. I worked in their call center. And uh, eventually I moved back to Florida. So I ended up in Orlando, went to one of my favorite places, TJ Maxx. And uh, I was wearing my sorority t-shirt and um, ran into one of my sorors. And uh, we kind of became friends from, from that day forward. And she was working at Charles Schwab. And um, I was looking for a job. And she told me about it. And so fast forward to 1997, I ended up working at Charles Schwab, entry-level position, of course, giving quotes over the phone the old way. And uh, I just worked my way through, through the channel right there at Charles Schwab, getting my Series 7, 9, 10, 65, all those, <laughs> all those numbers, um, and eventually obtaining my CFP designation. And so I, probably my last three, four years, I was on the financial planning team at Charles Schwab, and then I just eventually took that leap of faith and went out on my own, and I'm here today. 
I love that. Uh, tell us about why you decided to focus on this transition phase for women so much. You know, I transparency, I got divorced in 2017. And quite honestly, it was the single most difficult financial bridge that I needed to cross in my life. And, yeah. and I don't, even in financial services, it's sometimes very difficult in those moments to come back to people and say, hey, I'm going through this and I really need some help. Like the cobbler's kids not having yeah. shoes. We, we don't yeah. reach out. So, so why this particular vein of interest for you? So being um, a woman, of course, <laughs> working in that industry, in our financial services industry, we know that there's only a handful of us. And uh, it was that obviously that way when I was uh, working at my, with my previous employer. And I worked on a, the platinum team. And at that time, you had to have at least a million dollars or more. So I, I, I worked there, started there, and then moved to financial planning. But what I saw happening was that I was hands down always talking to men. When I get ready to present the financial plan, I'd say, uh, is it just you and I today or is your wife going to join? And he said, oh, she's here. She's in the background. She's listening. Um, you know, never, I wouldn't say never, but a lot of times women would, wouldn't participate in that planning process. And I thought, now we tell people that statistically men pass away before or die earlier than women. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a marriage and your husband passes away, and you've never been at the table helping to make those decisions, what are you going to do? And so time and time again, I'd speak to these women who were um, confused, didn't know what to do, didn't know really what they had in their accounts, didn't know if it was okay to buy something. They just were not connected to the finances. Now, they were connected to paying the bills, making sure the kids were taken care of, you know, getting the groceries. Even, even people with wealth are, are still doing that. They're just not at the table. And I thought, you know, when, when, when a husband passes away or when there's a divorce, like you said, if you've never been at the table, the vultures are going to come. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the vultures are your kids. <laughs> because yeah. if you haven't been participating and they're smarter than you, then they end up making decisions for you. And so I wanted to help women who were in that transition, either going from uh, full-time employment to starting their own career or from full-time employment to retirement or um, divorcing a spouse, or as, as I just mentioned, um, becoming a widow because that is a hard time and i feel like i have a calming spirit and um i relate to women well and just walking them through the process like getting them through the steps of understanding where they are and where they need to be and, and how to get there and at, at the same time having the compassion to to work with them and understand that they're going through a difficult time and they need somebody to talk to. And sometimes it's not always going to be about finances. It may be about something personal and that's okay. I love that so much. I know that I, for uh, uh, quite a few years, I worked in estate planning. I was in a, a very high net worth estate planning office in San Francisco. And we used to get calls from our clients' children. Yeah. How did my parents set up? We're not telling you. <laughs> No. Number one, 
But I do think that that's really an interesting perspective to remind the financial advisors listening that we, we all have that where we're trying to, even if we try to draw the people in, if you, one of the things I correlate that to is if uh, in the technology space with like social media and things, if children have devices, you know, and, yes. you, can, and you can't figure out, you're not sophisticated enough or the device is too sophisticated for you, take that device away because they're learning things that they shouldn't. The same right. goes for planning. <laughs> if, if your planning is so sophisticated and you're not participating and the children are smarter than you, they will come in. Yes. Um, and I yes. saw it happen a lot. And so I do yes. everything you just said there because I've seen that too, too, too often, actually. And More I would see, yeah, you. and you would see them come in and we would, you know, escort them into a, a, you know, a conference room to sit down and we had a round table versus the normal square. We wanted it to look like a friendly home environment. And we would see a lot of times where the women, we would literally, the seat is for you. And right. back in the yeah. 90s and 2000s, absolutely not. They weren't very interested in that. And I love to see the young women today because what's exciting for me is the uh, old lady in the room, if you will, for a lot of times. And I can qualify that I have nine grandkids. I'm a little bit <laughs> older than people realize. But they are proactively in that seat. Yes, they are. And, and I love seeing that. I do too. And I love seeing that too. I, uh, your book, A Woman's Worth, you did good, lady. You did good. I'm Thank proud of you. you. I'm Thank proud you. you. I want to specifically zero in on one of your essentials because you have a list of essentials in the book. And number five was know your debt-free date. Woo, oh, you spoke yes. to me. You spoke to me. Yes. I love this part of the book so much because as someone who does a lot of marketing and content strategy, I often work with the end in mind and go backwards. So what is your result? What do you want to get out of it? And then let's work those steps backward. And it drives me uh, crazy. Um, and I can drive other people crazy when they don't. It drives me crazy when people don't know their end date. And it drives yes. them crazy. Like, why are you working backwards? So it's the steps to the journey, right? We're trying to get there. And, you know, talking about why knowing that date is so important, I think you touched on it a lot in the book, and I'm grateful for that because when I wanted to leave my job, for example, my friend Emily Tisdale, um, she's with Recourse Resource Consulting down in Indianapolis, she sent me a calendar in the mail, and you <laughs> opened it up, and the date that I had said to her on the phone was circled in red. She had a big old pin marked around it and said that was a gift from her to me. And she called me like every couple of weeks and be like, got 139 days left. How you doing? And I, the, the accountability to the date. Wow. That's an accountability partner. Right. So when I got <laughs> to this chapter of your book, I took pause. I took big pause because I want you to talk to about the point, um, talk to the point of how crucial or critical it is to the success of women work in their plan when they have that date in mind. Yeah. So when I thought of debt-free day, I, 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 one of the things that I say in the book is that we've gotten to the point where we're like, everybody has debt. Okay. Let's all do it. You know, like it's good and it's not necessarily good. Some, you know, depending on your situation, maybe there's some things that are better than others, but it just feels like debt is good. Let's all do it. And we'll figure it out later. Mm -hmm. Well, figuring it out is what gets you in trouble because you miss payments or lose a job or whatever they, whatever the case may be. Um, and then the debt continues to pile on. And so I'm of the same mindset that let's look at 
the end result. Like what is your debt-free day? Like how long are you going to pay for this car? Um, it says that you have, you know, three years or four years or, or, or whatever. I think now you can buy one and go out to maybe six years. Yeah. Are you going to love this car in six years to continue paying this very large um, monthly payment. And so I say, let's look at that, figure out what that end date is. What day are you going to be like happy? Yes, I made it. I did it. I think that there is something um, emotional about that. Although it's transactional, we have to get to that date and do all the work. But I think it's very emotional. It gives you something to look forward to. It's almost like you said, your friend sent you that calendar with the dirt, the, the date circled in red. That's a also like the debt-free day like this is the day where if we put in all the work that we are supposed to put in and if we stick to the plan this is your day you don't want to go out any further right this yeah. is your day and so i think emotionally it helps people have something to focus on you know a great day a great celebration almost like retirement so emotionally it it helps but also it helps people focus and stick to the plan and understand that, hey, if we veer too far off this plan, who gets hurt? Well, you get hurt because now you have to move your debt-free day, your day of celebration, your day of financial freedom. Yeah. And no one really wants to do that. You know, I think about people when you try to lose weight, I feel like the calendar, what it really needs to say, isn't so much because you get the people who want to either weigh every day or they have a space. I think instead calendars for weight loss need to say, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> Meaning you got to still put the work in, but you're not going to yes. see the result. Got to still get, And I think that first 30, 35, 34 days, they need to say, not yet, not yet. And then the next one needs to say, maybe, maybe. Maybe, Ooh, you know, yeah. and as you get to that two month mark, yeah, here we are, you know, and kind of, because you got to understand it's those, those 43 days before that you put into it to get to day 44 when you step on the scale and you're like, right. Oh, wait a second. Here we are. You know, yes. it, 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 it's, and I think, I think to that point is very much like with what you're saying with money and getting, you know, it's not yet, it's not going to be this month that you're going to feel it. It may not be month two, but month three is going to be looking pretty, pretty good. It's going to be feeling a lot better, a lot freer, a lot less weight. And so I think that that same type of thing correlates and you give per people permission in the book to talk about that. And I think that that's really powerful. So that date, putting it on the calendar and having an accountability person who can hold yeah. you to it. And it, it builds momentum, like you're saying with, with, you know, not yet, we're getting closer, maybe, or I, you know, we can see the end of the light. Yeah. And I think it gives people momentum that the closer they get, the more excited they are about it. And so the more willing they are to do the work. Sometimes, of course, it gets hard, but being a financial planner, I, you know, we're running these Monte Carlo <laughs> simulations and, you know, letting people know what their probability of success is going to be. So if you are doing the work and the momentum is building and you're getting closer and closer to that day, it re it's really helpful because sometimes people are like, well, how can I get there even earlier? Like, how can I get there quicker? Yeah. Knowing that there is a, an, an end result that you're going to enjoy and be proud of. 
yeah, that you can get there. I, I remember one time with my daughter, Farah, I, she's going to be 26 in a, about six months. I remember vividly her ninth grade year going into high school and, oh, I don't want to go to school. And all that. So <laughs> I took a piece of paper and I drew a line across it. And each of the, the ticker marks, you know, it was like from zero to age, like 90, let's say. And, you know, if you look at that on a thing, the first quarter of her life is that focused, got to be in school, do the work, learn about relationships and education and getting some skill sets down. So much of her entire life is predicated on that first 12 years and maybe four years of college, whatever that is. So let's take those 16 years, builds mm -hmm. the rest of your life. You got mm. this much living mm. to do. I just yeah. need you to give me this much of your life. Are you willing to right. do that? That's and good. when she could see that, it was interesting. And so uh, she decided to start taking like extra classes. So when she got to her senior year, she only needed one class to pass. So she was done. That's good. Because she was so motivated by seeing that on a piece of paper that, well, this is all I got to do. How do I shorten that time so I can get into living my life? Yeah. And I think that that's what you're doing with giving people that debt-free date you know it's you all can, about what you're saying stick to the plan stick to it. the plan just give me this little period of time here and then you can do whatever you want to do after that whatever that plan is once you hit debt free day you have choice it. and i think that's what fine being financially free is about it's about choice you have choice Exactly, which leads me into the next essential that I want to talk about because you, you hit a good one here on essential number seven was every woman should know how to say no. Whew. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I have to make sure that Susan Combs of Combs and Company Consulting New York, she's going to get a copy of this podcast. She literally just counseled me on this last week on, uh, on Facebook, uh, on my private awesome. Facebook, because living in the Midwest as a woman, you know, we struggle with the no's. I, I, I have to tell you, there's a lot in my life when I've looked back, I just said no at this point, I just said no at that point. And so I think that giving people permission to say no, teaching them how to actively say no, no doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. It doesn't have to be any of those. And so I want you to talk through what you've seen in, as a financial planner, the good and the bad, of course, when it comes yes. to our ability or inability to do this essential step well. Yeah. You know, what we have to realize is i say in the book no is a complete sentence it's like <laughs> no you don't have to put fluff around it you don't have to make people feel better about it before you say no like have this very long story and then say no or say no and then apologize for saying no men don't do that um no is an answer for them. It's like, you know, hey, dad, can I go here? No. No. And you know they mean it. You know it's a no. And it's done. Mom, can I go here? No, honey, I don't think it's good. You know, you got school work to do and blah, blah, blah. So we add all of the extra fluff to it when the answer is simply no. And I think a lot of times we punish ourselves by not saying no. Like you say, looking back on some things that you've done in the past, if you just said no, it would have worked out better for you. I think that we feel like if we say no as women, that we're, we're rude or we're going to hurt someone's feelings or they're going to think we're mean. When in actuality, it's 
maybe for us to say no, because it's protecting us from something that's bad. And, and in the book, I talk about money, going out with your friends or going shopping or having a girl's day or whatever the case may be. Sometimes you just have to say no. Because saying yes actually is going to put you in a bad situation. You don't have the money for it. You don't have the time for it. So actually saying yes is hurting you. I love saying that. Saying no will just, maybe they won't feel bad, but I promise if they go out, they're going to have a great time <laughs> either way. They're going to miss you, but they're still going to have a great time. So a lot of times by us saying yes to something we're hurting ourselves you know i i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say the things you're not supposed to say because i'm good at that so people can always uh <laughs> thank I, you I, it's all good so one of them is i correlate when i hear no there's a lot of times where women say no they're considered bitchy yes mean yes mm -hmm. they're uh, you know very east coast i fear that one's another one uh, almost every time when i hear someone say you know, somebody is a, um, an angry person or, a, you know, yeah. especially, and I think this, this happens a lot too, as we start looking at even just racial inequalities of things. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my, she's not angry. She just told you no. <laughs> so right. She just said and stated her mind. It's, and I, Soroya Shamali, she wrote a book called Rage. And I think it's really an interesting book because women's rage that comes out has a lot to do with the fact that we just aren't allowed the privilege of the no because we're women. Right. Men do say no with, and, and it's like, and I, it's, I, I totally agree. Even, even I've noticed like the kids will tend to, well, we can, we can kind of finesse mom. Yeah. Dad, don't go to dad. <laughs> don't go to dad. But yeah. we, I think we can get in with mom. And I think that it's really important for us to start practicing our no's and say, when you really feel it's a no, it's a no. It's, it's a just no. a no. And you don't have to, uh, the, just this morning, I was sending an email to someone and the answer was, and I was going to put all the fluff. And if I probably hadn't read your, fresh off of reading your book, you know, five days ago, it wasn't right for my company. It's a no. Right. And I said, no. I did add thank you. I'm yes. Blessed. I got to yes. say the thank you. <laughs> I, I got to. But it was practice. no, no thank you. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then it was three words. What I was going to probably write was a paragraph and then it ended up being three words and I was out. Done. No, you can just say no. Yeah. And I think we yeah. need to support. You can just say, and, and it takes thing. us, um, it takes practice for us, especially like if you're a mom, because we are nurturers and, you know, they expect us to coddle and not make them feel bad, the kids. And so I think from the very beginning, we, we just feel like if we say no, we have to add something onto it. And I still do it. I, I may say, no, unfortunately at this time, you know, it's not going to work or no, maybe another time or something like that. You know, sometimes I will still add the fluff when I don't need to. It just takes practice and it's, it, for whatever reason, it doesn't come easy to women. It, uh, unless you are just like that, you know, some people can say yeah. no, but for me, it has taken practice for me to, to actually say no and not feel bad about it. I think it starts with our children too, because I think that we need to allow them as little people 
to come to us as grown-up people, big people, and they should be able to use their words. And if no, no is a word. And, and, it, and I hear people kind of laugh around how babies, I mean, our first words usually are no, and we yeah. don't want to do something. And I think we kind of need to validate that a little bit. And we tend to, I, there's a saying by Robin Sharma, he wrote the 5 a.m. club, and he said adults are deteriorated children. And I yes. think that that's a very, wow, kind of a statement. Because yeah. if somebody doesn't, if a child doesn't want to do something and they say no, honor it. Just right. let them have their no. Because as they grow to be adults, that no, I feel, will feel much more intrinsic to who they are. And yeah. they can say it and not feel guilt. There doesn't need to be guilt around it. And I think the way we help each other as sisters kind of get through this as we get old, you, you, the old ladies again for me, yeah. is I tell people, I ask them a question and then I say at the end, and if you say no, it is really 100% okay. Okay. Yes. And I'm you're still going to be. Permission. I'm giving you the permission. <laughs> Yeah. And I tell them that and anybody who knows me well, who does a lot of business with me will hear me say, and if the answer is no, a hundred percent okay with that. And we're still going to be friends and we're still going to do work together. I just want you to know that you can say no. I think we need to do more of that. So that yeah. particular essential was made me feel validated it, it helped me this week so I think that you, you like I said you did good on this one this was a great well, thank one. you thank so much. you so I like to always give people actionable education so what's one thing you'd like to impart to the listeners on how to grow themselves meaning that this advice what would you give a financial service professional listening today to take action on you know, what I've learned being in this industry for so long that no matter if you are male, female, black, white, whatever color, um, I feel like you need to make sure you're reaching out to people that are not necessarily in your box or people that you don't normally work with. So I find a lot of times that, um, and I've gotten it from, from some of my um, cohorts, like, you know, how do I, you know, you have clients that are black and um, they are okay with you? Like, how do I approach someone like that? And I always say, go where they are. You know, Black people every Sunday, the churches are packed, <laughs> you know? Go to events where they are. You know, there are things like the, the, the big festivals that they have. You can actually get good clients or good prospects from those types of things. You have to go where they are. They may not always be on a golf course. They may not always be in the wine club. You just have to go where they are. And so I say, let's try to diversify our practices because believe it or not, just like you know your neighbor or your family member, there are other people out there who want a financial planner they just don't know where to start they don't know how they don't know you know where to go they don't know what to do but we need to be more proactive um, at reaching out to them I love that and I'm going to add on to that that anyone listening to this call please know that females in finance has a fabulous relationship with quad a so the african-american financial advisors yes system. The, I have to tell you, uh, so Renee and I speak often. We are mm -hmm. public leaders of membership organizations. And I have overwhelmingly heard people say, oh, oh I didn't realize that was for everyone. It's a membership yes. organization. It is open for everyone. The network yes. is fantastic. It is low cost. 
and yep. you get so wonderful people uh, that you get access to who will tell you very similar to what you just said, Rochelle, about reaching into diverse po you know, populations of people and being where they're at, showing up. I was on a call just even a couple of weeks ago with our New York metro uh, you know, region, and okay. one of the women on the call is bilingual and she speaks Spanish and she, her, I always tell everybody at the end of a call, Hey, you got to put your big ask out there. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's interesting because her big ask was please everybody find more bilingual people to help you in your office. I'm exhausted. Aww. I'm exhausted, you know? And I, and I love that that was a valid ask, which was we're not Very showing valid. up. We're not showing, people are not showing up in communities where they're in desperate need of help. They don't know where to go. And just yeah. as you just said right there, Quad A, great organization. Please join it, everybody. Yes. I yes. can't say that enough. Please join. Yes. yes. So I like to wrap up in fun ways. And Rochelle, I ask every guest three questions. They don't know the questions Ooh. ahead of time because y'all are planners. <laughs> You're planners and you'll plan out the answers. So you ready? I have to answer one <laughs> yes, too. Yes, we would. All right. We would do that. All right. So here we go. So if you didn't have to worry about money, what would you do all day? If I didn't have to worry. So, oh, that's a good one. You know, my day would start out, I'd like to meditate. So I'd still do that. I'd still meditate. Um, I would... Probably today, I'd redecorate my home. <laughs> I know that's not good. I'd redecorate my home. And um, I would still do the work that I do. I love what I do. Um, I think I'm good at it. I would probably have a full studio, podcast, videos I'd probably go that route mm -hmm. if I had all the money that I needed and I'd just bring on great people like you like Zanilia like Renee like Rianca all these great people that I want the world to meet I would definitely make sure that I was you know getting you all out there which you all are out there now but even more I love that I think yeah. that if money were no object for me I would probably like to work with more young people, especially those mm -hmm. in high school and college, mm -hmm. men and women, when it comes to our financial services community. I love the networking that we're doing, and I would travel more to spend time in those colleges. We have some, some pretty good college connections already. Never enough, never enough, never right. enough. Uh, right. But I think that that's sort of my calling is of like you, I would think I would still continue to do what I'm doing, but on a broader mm -hmm. scale. Right, right. You know, money is right. the limitation of why I can't right. reach out and into, you know, all these places, but I just don't feel like we're still showing up for our young people today, that the mentors, they're having to proactively go out and find them. And I think that as you layer the onion, the more diverse someone becomes, the less uh, accessible mentors become. Right. And so I think we just need to to do to reach in and help a little bit more. So that's my money is no object pie in the sky. So yeah, um, I, I'm I'm right there with you. We yeah. we love what we do. So we, we love just, it you know, exactly, and we would just do it at a broader we, scale. Yeah. So what have you really wanted to do for a long time, but you've never gotten around to doing? 
Ooh. I'll go first. On the dare on the daredevil side. Oh I want I was just gonna say I don't know daredevil. <laughs> I am 49 and all okay. I want to do is go to Italy. Okay, so here's, here's the big thing. I was scheduled to go to Italy. Um April 3rd, I was leaving, coming back on April 11th for my friend's 50th. And guess uh, what happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what happened. Corona. Yeah. Um, so I want to go to Italy. Isn't that funny? I mean, that's very, yeah. very synergistic. I have so much so that I bought books on how to speak Italian. I mean, I just, oh not, my that gosh. not because of that. I just wanted to understand. I just feel like it's a, it's calling me. I'm a, I'm a, I love to cook. I would, you know, I figured, you know what? Oh I wanted to God. go this year because I was already chubby. I figured I, this is the time I could afford the calories. Bring it on. Might as well and, go. Yeah, I know. And now it didn't yeah. happen yet again, but that's been my dream is I've wanted to go yeah. to Italy my whole life. I feel like I do that for the, I'm mic dropping after that. I'm good. Um, now my daredevil. I want to hear this daredevil. I didn't know about this. My daredevil that I don't think I'm going to do, but I keep saying I want to do is I want to skydive. Skydive. Okay. <laughs> so, I, so I'm with you on yeah. that. So I parasail. Oh. I, yeah. Yeah. Fun. It is. I think it is. It's very exhilarating. Now, my husband's not yeah. a big, uh, you know, height fan. Right. right. <laughs> no. Me either. And he sat, does that, but then he rides all like these roller coasters and things. And I don't do any of that stuff because I just don't like my stomach being left a half a mile back. And, <laughs> right. Uh, I just can't do that. But the, the parasailing, uh, I went one time when I was in Jamaica. And I remember going up there and all I could hear was the wind. It's so peaceful. And I, I, I was kind of imagining birds and stuff like when they're up there and they hear that wind, they probably don't hear it the way we hear it, you know, obviously, right. but it's just the peacefulness of just being able to be there. And I thought I could do this all day long. I literally it's, could do this all yeah. day long. So Daryl and I, think I went to we went another to Alabama this year. It was same experience. Yeah. I, I think it's another level of consciousness and energy. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's probably soothing. There's no chaos yeah. up there. No. It's just the air and you. And there is a point that's so funny where you kind of look down and you think, this little, this little rope is holding me on. <laughs> this is it. This is all we got. Yeah. Here, folks. So uh, that's mine. So how about this one? The third one is, what's something that only someone from where you grew up would understand? Ooh, oh, boy. So um, I don't look like a dancer I'm not like a you know synchronized or anything like that but they would know that my family is probably the biggest James Brown family on the in the world and uh, my dad before he passed away could mimic him from sliding across the floor to doing a split <laughs> and only people that we grew up with family and friends know that we it. are just totally James Brown. He made us like that. Like we were born into it. Um, but if something happens where there's, um, maybe some special on about James Brown or some news people will kind of inbox me or they'll put on, put a picture on of him on my Facebook page because they know that, you know, we grew up being really, really big James Brown fans. 
I love that. That's good. <laughs> I was going to say, Lynn, you live here in St. Louis. All we want to know is what high school you went to. Like it's oh, really? literally the first question. Oh, it's the very first question. So like even Daryl and I were out walking last night and it, <laughs> where, where'd you go to high school? We always ask it. And I think that the reason why, and it's a St. Louis thing, it's a hundred percent a St. Louis thing. I think it's because our school systems, the way they're set up tells a lot about demographically and things where you come from. So like if oh. I say I went to Fort Zumwalt North, someone already oh. knows I grew up out in the country because that's out in O'Fallon, Missouri. Okay. Um, and that they knew that I probably lived in a predominantly maybe white or uh, higher in high net worth because yep. people bought estates and stuff and lived out there. Whereas yep. if somebody said that they went to Parkwood Central, well, I already know that you live over in St. Louis County and you probably live in this neighborhood. It's interesting, but it's a very St. Louis thing. And people come here and we're like, oh, where'd you go to high school? And they're like, you wouldn't know it. Like, it's yeah, like the stupidest like, thing. Like, do you feel like, so once you say it, do they get a different perception? They of who do. You are? Oh yeah, they do. Oh, it's very right? judgy. Oh yeah, it's very judgy. Like all yeah. of a sudden, somebody will yeah. walk away and be like, "They went," you know. And and it's it it is. And now as I've grown up, it's less intriguing, but it still gives me an idea of where they, from a population perspective, where they grew up and where they live. And and I still catch myself doing it. And I think Cheryl, ah, don't do yeah. it. And yeah, here I am. What high school do you go to? And so you go to other That's places cool. and it's, it's such a St. Louis thing that and our toasted ravioli and frozen custard and flat pizza. So there you go. Oh yeah. That, now that's, that's, yeah, that's not here. That's definitely yeah. a St. Louis thing. Right? No, when I was in, <laughs> no, when I was in Florida, Bill Seaman and I, I made it, we went and had goat for lunch. Oh, so we went, yeah, he's yeah, Haitian. You know, so, so I'm we, Florida. I am small town, Florida, even though I, went to school in Atlanta. I'm small town, Florida. And, um, I'm like, you wouldn't believe that, you know, I probably swam with manatees. I mean, we were where the man people come from all over the world to our oh, springs. My to swim. That. Yeah. To swim with the manatees. And I probably, well, you wouldn't say, Oh, Rochelle grew up swimming with manatees. <laughs> it wouldn't be that, but that's where there we are. Yeah. Well, we're going to be sure to provide a link to all the ways to reach you and connect. We also be certain to provide a link to your book so that people can get that and they should. And you're not only an incredible financial advisor, but I also want to make sure that the audience knows that you're just an asset to the community for all you do to change money conversations, especially with women. I'm grateful. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. And for you listeners out there, thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn more about today's guest and the topics we covered by visiting the links we provide on the episode page. And if you love today's podcast, you know you did. Please be sure to subscribe. Don't keep it a secret. Put that hashtag out there, females and finance on your posts, and we can engage with you as well. And we always want you to remember the F Word. It is where females and finance are not dirty words. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs>